Hello, welcome to the Heavy Hole. My name is Tom. And my name is Big Will, a.k.a. Uncle British Connection. And Justin's sick today, so... Uh, He's Wait, that man is sick every day in the metal sense. Uh, yeah, And, yeah. like, the grinding on a skateboard while doing a Joe Satriani-esque guitar solo, high-top sneaker. He's sick all the time, but yeah. yes. But it comes to that, he is flying very high on the yeah. sickness radar. But he's also flying very low under the weather today. He's not feeling wow. well... Um, we're not even going to joke around about current events or anything. The guy's got a little allergy or a little cold or something. He's okay. He's not, you know, it's not, we're not going to go there. It's not that serious. But he did sit it out for this uh, off-time, crazy scheduled interview. I'm drinking coffee. Yeah, me too. Um, yeah, it's, it's, it's not actually that early that we should be drinking coffee. We should be up by now. But uh, we got a, a very special one today. Um, and I'm not even going to take you there yet because I'm still fueling up uh, the air-powered hover Segway that we're going to take today. Wow. Uh, and while I'm doing that, Tom, how was your weekend? Weekend? Oh, it was long. Thanks for asking. I've been doing uh, a lot of painting this weekend, helping wow. my parents out. I'm an artist, too. That's that's funny you should mention that. Lots of green. Green deck. I don't <laughs> Allegedly. Know what, yeah. <laughs> that's all I got going for me. No, oh, I, I thought I, you meant like painting on a canvas, like you were No, no, no. But you know, you know I'm a fantastic artist. I am so expressive, and I use so many uhs and ahs in my uh, vernacular. Yeah, like Buster Rhymes. Right, exactly. Yeah. But here here I am. I'm just burnt out, out in the sun, painting decks uh, over and over again this weekend, which makes me feel good because I get to move because I'm always sitting at a computer, but I'm still pretty burnt out. It's Bur- a good. It's a good by burnt. the sun. Shout out to them. Mm-hmm. Um, gotta get. Uh, gotta get Dave Woody back. Uh, so, uh, what do you think of this vinyl collection that I've been working on, Will? You know, yeah. You know, we should mention, by the way, um, uh, rearranging our production issues today because Justin needed to take a break. We're in Tom's basement for the first time since this whole pandemic. Everyone's shut in. We did Skype for a few months. Then we were in Justin's studio for the last like month or two. I'm in Tom's basement again. So where, where it all here. started, where the first like years worth of podcast, pod, <laughs> the first years <laughs> worth of podcasts were pardoned uh, and and let out into the world. Yeah, I see you've re- you've redone uh, the vinyl collection. You've got this caustic wound. Uh, shout to profound lore. You've got this severe torture uh, repulsion. It's getting scary in here. It's getting classic and scary. Um, what's that? What are these dark ones over there, man? I can't see the. I logo. got the ri- the uh, ripped to shreds. Um, okay, the light wasn't showing that. Yeah, uh, I got the newer Dark Throne Old Star and okay. the new Defeated Sanity. Okay, all right. Where's the new Defeated Sanity? Oh, that's behind the ripped to shreds one. Got right it. There. Okay. Yeah, I'm, I'm running out of running out of display room. You got to get a big uh, display case. I need a new house. <laughs> yeah, uh, I need a, I, I need a whole lot of new things. Um, yeah, so, uh, yeah, that was, that was uh, you know, it's a, it's a fun thing to be building, but I haven't even had the time to really dive into this. I'm excited. Will, how's your weekend? Did you get to listen to any? Did you have the time? Uh, well, yeah, I'm, I'm always listening to music. I, I always make time to listen to music, even if it's 10 minutes while I drink my coffee in the morning before work, or I take a little break while I'm doing a project around the house. Man, I always got the tunes cranking. Um, and, I, and, and this weekend was no, I, I, you know, it's funny you mentioned you were helping your parents out. I cleaned out uh, a big portion of my parents' basement, and I bought uh, warehouse-style shelving. Uh, shout, shout out to Husky, the Husky brand. Nice. Yeah, I don't know if they were... The, the, my clothes used to say Husky when I was a kid, but I feel like that wasn't the same Husky that makes these shelving units and all that stuff. And regardless, uh, they've, had my, yeah, they've had my, my back my whole life. 
yeah, now it's like a warehouse style situation, uh, and I'm and the, the the end game is I'm going through boxes of my old CDs and tapes and stuff from when I was a teenager, unlocking the mystery yet again. Uh, it's gonna be like that movie, The Never Ending Story, where the kid reads the book and he's in an attic and he's transplanted to a magical world. That's gonna be me with the dead in and and regurgitation demos. I don't uh, want to go to those worlds. I'm all right with looking at the album covers, yeah. but I don't want to be. I I was. I'm from those worlds. Oof. Yeah, I'm Jeez. from there. But uh, yeah, listen. Um, home home improvement construction projects uh, and death metal go hand in hand. Um, the, the worldwide. Uh, and today, uh, we're going to get a hand from our friends across the pond, as they say. Wow. Yeah. The old revolutionary shake. Yeah, uh, or or a revolutionary shift, my friend. We're, yeah, we're experiencing a big shift in seasons. It's the first day of fall today or tomorrow? Today. Yeah. On the day of recording. Uh, a big shift in seasons. Uh, there's also a cryptic shift in the air. Um, we're going to talk to... All right, enough of this bullshit. We're, we're going <laughs> to talk to Xander Bradley... Uh, and Ryan Shepperson of the band Cryptic Shift from Leeds, England. Uh, and they're going to tell me all about what's going on across the water there. Live from Leeds. Whole podcast. This is Big Will here, uh, joined by Tom and, of course, Justin. I don't, I don't think I explained it to our guest today, but Justin had to take the day off. He's uh, a little under the weather, but he's okay. He's go- he's going to make it. Uh, and our guests, of course, are Xander Bradley and Ryan Shepperson. If I got your names right, from the band Cryptic Shift. Yeah, that's right, man. Nice to meet you guys. Yeah, yeah. Thanks for coming on the show, guys. Yeah, we appreciate your time. Now, uh, you know, a lot of the times on the show, uh, you, you, you're familiar with the program. We have like one member of a band, and we go back to the whole, you know, are you from a musical family thing? Maybe just for the for the beginning of the interview, we could take it to like, uh, uh, well, first of all, are both of you guys from Leeds, England? Yeah, man, that's right. Uh, born and bred. I personally never left here. Yeah, same here. Okay, did you guys know each other as children growing up? Um, no, not at all, actually, which is quite sweet. I mean, we're kind of from, like, similar areas, but... Yeah, we're both from, like, east, south, Leeds, but we met uh, later on. Okay, now, I'm, you know... I'm not the most uh, well-educated person. I'll be upfront about that. And I'm from, uh, you know, Long Island, New York. Tell me a little bit about Leeds, England... Um, and and what that means to you, and how it might stand out from people's percept- uh, preconceptions of England or other parts of England. Um, it's kind of just a regular town in uh, the middle of England, really. It's it's quite far from London. It's about five hours north of there. So, I guess some like preconceptions people might have is like is like the only thing to think of is London, but uh, it's it's much different to that city. Um, I don't know. I'll say. I'll say. Really, it's kind of just. I mean, it's, it's it's kind of cool. There's a lot of like, um, like, country kind of uh, areas. You know, a lot of like uh, countryside areas and like woodlands and stuff like that. So, 
it's kind of nice not to like grow up in like a concrete jungle and stuff like that. So yeah, you go a couple of miles out from the city centre and you'll, you'll be in the middle of a field, which is nice. Okay, man. Yeah, there's uh, there's a similar dynamic with us with New York City. We're out in the suburbs here, and if you go a little bit further out on Long Island from us, there's a lot of farmland and stuff like that. Um, we kind of, you know, the best of both worlds, so to speak. Uh, and and so let's let's start uh, quickly. You know, we'll go with each of you guys. But Ryan, um, are you from a musical family? And uh, how did drums uh, factor into your life? At what age? Um, well, my family aren't particularly too musical. I mean, my mum always like enjoyed listening to music in the car and stuff like that. And she was into stuff like uh, The Police and like Fleetwood Mac and stuff like that. So I've always kind of um, had like positive experiences, just like, you know, growing up and like going places in the car and like listening to music that's a bit more meaningful than like standard crap that they play on the radio and stuff like that. Um, but like growing up for me, um, I didn't really get introduced to heavy metal until actually quite young, probably like 10 years old or something. Uh, one of my older cousins passed me down. I believe it was Fear Factory, the manufacturer, hmm. and Pantera Vulgar Display of Power. And the moment I pressed play on Vulgar Display of Power, my mind just blew up completely. <laughs> um, uh, basically kind of wanted to be Vinnie Paul ever since. Like, I remember looking at the the inlay and stuff and just seeing how cool these guys looked, man. Like, I'd never... I mean, I grew up watching, like, pro wrestling and stuff. And, um, you know, those guys look pretty fucking metal and the music's pretty hard. So uh, I kind of always had that, but I never really put two and two together. And then after, like, discovering, like, what metal bands really were and that they existed and, like, these people kind of lived apart from being dudes with massive muscles and long hair throwing each other through tables that are on fire i was like holy shit <laughs> i can do this um so since i was like 10 um i think like i got a guitar around christmas time that year and played guitar for a little while but then um that never really worked out too well for me and i ended, I ended up in like high school um in high school like music was like the only thing i give a shit about so um, I, I was still set on being Vinnie Paul from Pantera at that age, so um, I don't know. I just started gravitating towards drums now that I had the, the like ability to practice on them and like play. Because the, the high school I went to had like a pretty dedicated music department and stuff. And then maybe for my 13th, 14th birthday, I got a drum kit. Um, it was like this nice white pearl export starter kit. And uh, I've just been like trying hopelessly to play Slayer covers since then. So <laughs> that's kind of like how I got into playing drums and stuff. Okay. All right. Awesome, man. So I- I'm going to stop you there. Um, uh, and uh, Xander, if you're still with us, uh, kind of take us through the same thing now. Um, you know, are you from a musical family? And how does guitar factor into you, like up until your teenage and high school years? Uh, I'd probably say I'm from a very musical family um my dad's always uh, played guitar he's always been a singer as well um from all his life really he's been in all sorts of bands i'm even in a, in a band with him right now uh, with um, his brother my uncle as well which is pretty cool but he's always been in bands i always remember as a kid just just knowing that my dad was in bands he was in he was in a band called Defonia 
like late 90s, early 2000s that did like kind of well. It was in like magazines and stuff, played London a lot. And I remember him like, uh, like leaving to play shows and stuff. So that was, it was never something I thought, oh, my dad's in the band. It's just, I always kind of knew it was a thing. And uh, when I went like to my grandparents' house, the, even now they're always talking about music. My granddad will be like, have some like 60s music on Alexa or something and to my dad like oh who's this and it's all it was always like about who wrote it who recorded it like like the tiny details that uh, most people would probably miss which is kind of interesting and um yeah both my parents have always been writing to music and they apparently like played like Rage Against the Machine when I was a younger and stuff <laughs> so that, that was cool yeah um and then I was really into like a lot of like alternative rock stuff that, that uh, my dad introduced me to. That's like sort of music he plays. So I was always into uh, this band called Ride, which was like a shoegaze band from uh, England from like the early 90s. And I just always remember like liking them. And there was this track called Drive Blind by them. And I always thought that was the coolest thing ever. In the middle, it's got this like big crescendo that they build up and get faster and faster. And then it like explodes into all this like guitar feedback and, and like pedal noise, which was just the coolest thing ever to me. And um, then I think my dad gave me his guitar when I was about 11 or so. It was an Epiphone Les Paul that he'd, he'd got in the 90s. So that was cool. I remember, I remember, um, as a kid just asking him like oh can you show me some cards or something and so that was about 11 but I, d I don't think I really took guitar seriously until a couple of years later um, and like heavier music didn't come for me until a few years later I, like I noticed a lot of people like like Ryan said he, he got he was like listening to Pantera when he was about 10 years old and I, I don't think I discovered them until like 14 or 15 maybe later you know uh, yeah, I mean, it's <laughs> Pantera is, a, is an acquired taste at that age. You know, sometimes you're not ready yeah, for it, uh, for sure. But that that brings to my interesting question now, because I noticed um, you, you had a guitarist with Cryptic Shift named Joe Bradley, who played on Visitations and has recently uh, left and been replaced on guitar by Joss Farrington. Did I get that correct? That's correct, yeah. Is that Joe Bradley a relative of yours, Xander? <laughs> no, actually, it's not. But it's okay, just a coincidence. Yeah. Okay. No, we'll, we'll give it. You know, you explained that you had uh, musicians in the family. I thought that was fair. Um, all right. So we kind of got both of you guys. Uh, you know, backgrounds a little bit. Um, uh, what now? Maybe give us each your take on uh, getting getting into um, getting past commercial heavy metal music, growing up in Leeds getting into punk rock, death metal, underground, whatever it is. Are there record stores? Are there underground shows? Is there a community of other teenagers into it? How was it? Um, I mean, starting out for me, um, high school and stuff like that, uh, around that age, maybe until I was like 16, 17, I didn't really know too many metalheads, um, which is kind of like how it is in Leeds for the most part, you know, you kind of just go to school and then go home, uh, you know. Um, but at that time, like, I was still, like, reading, you know, stuff like Metal Hammer magazine and discovering new bands. And from then, I kind of, like, stemmed off into, like, the whole thrash metal subgenre. 
and I was like really into that stuff until from like 14 to like 18 years old and um, I mean from there and like obviously we've kind of we're a bit younger so we grew around with the internet been there for us and stuff like that um, it was kind of like around the time when it became a lot easier to kind of find new stuff with like Facebook and uh, YouTube and stuff like that so like after basically discovering every surface level thrash band um, I kind of just moved on to death metal and uh, you know I remember I actually remember when I was like maybe I don't know how old I was when Morbid Angel the Illid album came out but I had a friend show me that been like oh this is Morbid Angel these are like the biggest death metal band ever and I was like this is trash like I'm never <laughs> like, this is what death metal is then I'm never not bothered about that shit um, wow but then like started discovering like Nile and like stuff like that I mean um, I was kind of exposed in high school to a couple of people who were into like deathcore and stuff like that because I suppose that was kind of popular at the time um, so that stuff was like pretty extreme and you know hearing like blast beats for the first time and then them kind of vocal styles which I was never too keen on I guess it was for me like the only band from that period that like really hit me was like Whitechapel just because uh, some of those vocals on those records and the drumming especially on those records is some absurd shit it sinks in um, so yeah I kind of just like got into death metal through illegally downloading records and being allegedly allegedly yeah. <laughs> um, and then yeah just kind of you know meeting new people and the scene over here is in Leeds is like pretty good I mean a lot of it is kind of just watered down Lamb of God style bands um, there's not too many like death metal or extreme metal bands but there's a lot of fans for that kind of stuff so occasionally there'd be like a good tour passing through and stuff like that but nothing ever too noticeable I mean the first uh, the first like proper show I went to was Creator on their comeback tour when they did Phantom Antichrist and that was sweet. I had to travel to like Manchester with a friend and I was like 15 at the time or something. So that was like pretty fun. But um, no, Leeds is cool. I mean, you asked about record stores and there's a couple of stores that like, there's one in particular where like I'm, maybe when I first started collecting records when I was like still in the later years of high school, uh, like just finding like death symbolic and stuff like that and having the opportunity to become like more familiar with, with that record, especially like really open up. But um, yeah, that that's that's cool. I don't know about, what about you, Sam. Uh, yeah, getting to heavy music. Um, I'd probably say it stemmed from Guitar Hero Three. That yeah, was a big sure. one, man. We've gotten a few of those. <laughs> Always guitar. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Okay. And I'd, I'd probably say it helps with the bit of like the finger dexterity on the guitar. You know, like having that orange button like on that pinky stretch. You know? Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. But uh, Guitar Hero 3, I had Bulls on Parade by Rage Against the Machine. And uh, me and a couple of friends from high school um, were like so into Rage Against the Machine. We all played like Guitar Hero. And uh, these, these two mates, like he's got one called Mikey and one's Danny. And that was like the first band sort of thing. Never wrote any songs. It was just like, oh, I guess we like Rage Against the Machine. You know, you play drums, you replace, I play guitar and jam out. and play really badly probably but um 
I think I remember they were into Metallica as well, and they were like going on about um, Enter Sandman and stuff. And uh, I, I that was like my introduction to that, and I can't remember what I thought of it, but. Uh, with, there was this other mate in high school called uh, Rob, and he was way more into like more extreme stuff, like the dark stuff, but also like a lot of like gothy, like like Marilyn Manson and like Slipknot and um, like more like sleazy goth stuff, like dope. And I never really liked it at all, but um, we were jamming with him for a while, and I remember uh, he left our little like jam group, and then uh, we heard he was. Uh, someone heard he was like gonna form a death metal band now and, and me Mikey and Danny were like laughing at this like oh yeah he's gonna form a death metal like we didn't really know what it was we just thought it was like this goofy like genre of music we'd heard of so that was like my first first time I ever heard of death metal which is kind of funny it is kind but, of funny uh, the first time you hear death metal uh, yeah, like, it, takes, it takes a couple laps before you get into it and understand what the hell's going on yeah, yeah, and if my like current self could talk to me when I said that, it'd, be, it'd, it'd definitely be strange. <laughs> so then, then I probably got into, um, I got into thrash metal. We're all thrashers in, in Cryptic, even though we play like probably more death metal and stuff. We're all thrashers at our core, I'd say. So I got, I really got into Megadeth. I remember buying um, like Rust in Peace at the like the local music store called HMV. Don't know if you have that over there, but that's like the bigger, more like commercial store. I remember getting like, yeah, Rust in Peace, and that blew me away. All the guitar solos was just like nothing I've ever heard. And then I got really got big into Pantera, like like massive, and that was around like 2012 for me. Um, and then from there, like Machine Head. I remember Machine Head Unto the Locust was like the first like really extreme band i remember like seeing it being promoted online metal hammer or whatever and um like listening to the single and thinking like holy shit i like this and it's it's like really extreme this is kind of weird so yeah like megadeth pantera machine ed yeah, and then it's a good then, like, random with like youtube being able to go in there and find anything it like from like 2013, 14, and remember those two years were like really big. You can just go on go on YouTube and remember finding like Atheist and Gorguts and you know from there it just exploded. Yeah, and it's sad. Well, the bands you talk, you know, you talk about uh, Megadeth. Uh, Ryan mentioned Death Symbolic. Then you get into Atheist, Gorguts. It kind of sounds like you're talking about a, almost a natural um, yeah. uh, set of influences for Cryptic Shift. But I want to stop you there. Because you, you you guys kind of both caught us up to speed with getting into heavier music. And you mentioned like 2011, 12. Uh, doesn't Cryptic Shift begin around 2011? Um, technically, it started at the start of 2013. And there's like all sorts of different variations of it online, which is always <laughs> like a bit confusing, yeah. But um, I think um, like I was always jamming with like high school friends from like 2009 to like 12, and, and it was never really any sort of band. But uh, to like tell you to get you out to like how Cryptic started, it was uh, the guy who was into uh, who was starting a, a death metal band in high school that we were laughing at. Uh, I like befriended him a bit more, and uh, 
he was like a, a better guitarist than me when we met and like I jammed with him and and then uh, it was about I think it was 2010 uh, there was this like youth group that we went to that was like on a different day than the regular one where all like the the dickheads from school basically went and this was kind of like for the more music oriented alternative people I guess and uh, they had like loads of music equipment there and we'd jam out and there came this opportunity to go to this like half term school thing uh, called like rock school and uh, and me and uh, him and a couple of people from like Rothwell where I'm from is uh, like we like that week we learned how to play music really and it was like we got to play a gig at the end of it which was amazing and then I sort of played music with them that like group of people the next couple of years and uh, but then in 2013 or was it 12 I think it was 2012 I started uh, music college and uh, the few months prior to that I'd not really spoken to a lot of those friends and uh, then I met a few people in music college and I was like telling this mate Rob like yo I think we've got like some musicians here and we can finally like get a band together and uh, it was the start of 2013 that the encrypting shift like came about okay is that how you and Ryan meet um, no um, I don't know when I bouncing where that we meet but it was probably 2013 yeah it was so I, I played I played in a band that um, similar setup but more like um, yeah, I had a couple of friends from like different areas that I've kind of just known through growing up, um, and they were probably like the only friends of mine that I had at the time that were like into metal and stuff. So we just like formed a thrash band called Obliterator, and it sounded like kind of like um, the more Teutonic kind of thrash, like early Creator and like Sodom and stuff like that. Okay. Um, Sick. So, I mean, if I probably went back and listened to it now, um, I don't think it sounded anything like that. But at the time, we were, we were, we were pretty German. Like, <laughs> <laughs> but uh, no, I think, like that band kind of faded out and we'd played maybe one or two shows with like the band, the Cryptic Shift of which Xander was in at the time. Um, and some opportunity came where they needed a drummer. So I was like, yo, I'll do it. And I think we jammed. Did we jam Tornado of Souls or something? And like the very first time. Maybe I don't remember that. <laughs> I remember when we loved Pantera. It was like, oh, can you play this Pantera song? And you were like, oh yeah, easy. Yeah, because we did Cabo That was it. Oh yeah. Yeah. So like you know, um, I had a jam, met those guys properly, um, and then yeah, like kind of smooth sailing from there to some extent. Yeah. Okay. All right. Um, all right. So, so we're all kind of caught up to speed now. Uh, you, you guys um, have come together in Cryptic Shift. I know there's like it's like you said online. It's like like uh, you know it, it's it's a little confusing. There's a few demos and and uh, singles. There's a split with uh, Bestial Invasion, uh, where you covered Arise by Sepultura. I was actually a little surprised to check that out. Um, uh, people can check that out on Bandcamp. And then 2016, Beyond the Celestial Realms, the proper EP, uh, was released on Fractured Mind Recordings, right? Yeah, that's cool. That's right. 
Uh, you want to tell us a little bit about that? Because, you know, I went back and reviewed that, um, like, over the weekend, kind of preparing for this interview and listened to visitations again. It sounded like on Beyond the Celestial Realms, there was, like, a more of, like, an old-school thrash crossover uh, flavor in there. Is that is that fair to say? Yeah, I mean, um, speaking back to when, like, I was first in the band and stuff, uh, it kind of sounded like it, the, the sound we were going for was more pretty much like sounding like Pantera and stuff like that. That was like our biggest point of reference and influence um, back at that time. Um, but towards the end of it, like the, the vocalist who was in the band at the time had like started to act like an asshole. So um, we kind of just decided that enough was enough and we were gonna like, cause he, he wanted to, he was kind of like had like frontman syndrome where his vision was more or less the only way that was the only thing that was going to happen. But uh, we were like, yeah, we're just like drifting away, and like uh, I was writing like the material that would be on Beyond the Celestial Realms, and and um, his lyrics for it was just just like totally wrong, and you know it just kind of disintegrated. And uh, at the end of like 2014, we sort of like restarted the band, and that, that's why like those old demos. You, They've been like erased. You won't be able to find them anymore. <laughs> oh, you scrubbed yeah. them from the internet. You did the impossible. <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah. So, Some somebody like, somebody will bootleg them someday. Don't worry, man. Allegedly, yeah, yeah. we'll see it on eBay for hundred quid. So yeah, me and Ryan uh, at that time we just like restarted and we're like, it right, was, we're gonna take it serious. We're really influenced by like, Sepultura. Beneath the remains, Sepultura was like the bonding record and we're like, we kind of said like let's let's stop now and restart and sound exactly like um, Beneath the Remains like that vibe and yeah. like we're taking over like vocal duties while playing guitar and stuff um, I mean I guess that's why we did the Sepultura cover as well yeah bro because um, we were like really into like just that style of kind of just super aggressive like thrash metal really it's like brutal thrash isn't it I guess yeah but yeah. I mean um, yeah so you're totally right about um, the connection with the transitioning to more kind of traditional thrash metal stuff because that's what kind of like that was kind of like the style that we could play best I don't really think we'd messed around with like death metal or any playing that kind of stuff just yet no it was um with like writing the Beyond the Sister Realm stuff, death metal was probably seeping in a bit, like just through us like discovering weirder bands like Atheist and like Revocation are, are a big, big one for me. I, I fucking love them. Um, and yeah, just it's kind of like a, a big like musical progression in kind of like what we're into that as it gets more extreme and um, Beyond the Sister Realm is kind of like just a big transitioning thing, like leading them to visitations. Yeah, it's it's interesting you mentioned revocation too because um, you know I, obviously I I know those guys uh, you know personally you know really nice guys we've had uh, Dave Davidson on the show and so on and so forth but I feel like objectively with the music I felt I I, I felt like there was a correlation there with the way they kind of blend uh, really progressive thrash and death influences and there, there's just a lot going on um, and 
you know, they're a band, too, that is kind of, if you look through their catalog, we talked with Dave about it when we had him on the show about how there's more death metal records, there's more thrash records, there's more kind of like almost fusion type of records that they do. Um, and with you guys, uh, that there's a really great contrast between Beyond the Celestial Realms and vis- uh, Visitations from en- Enceladus, if I said Enceladus right. Yeah, uh, Enceladus, something okay. like that. We've heard some funnier uh, like pronunciations of the track <laughs> titles like from reviewers online. But... The teenager in me just wants to say Enceladus, and I did, but yeah. I'm not. But I'm not. I'm not going to do it again. All right, I promise. <laughs> um, but, but what I'm getting at is uh, between these two records, there's well, there's also something maybe you could clear up that was a little confusing for me. There's the Cosmic Dreams single, which is dated 2017 online but was also released as part of a recent split this year um, with Rep- Replicant, Inoculation, and Astral Tomb on on uh, uh, Desert Wasteland production. Excuse me. So what what's the deal with that song and that split? Um, that song was like uh, another like transitioning point where we were like, right, we're, we're more death metal now. And yeah, we put it out in 2017. Uh, it was cool, but it never got a physical release. So recently, there came an opportunity to someone was to do a split with us, and we're like, "Yo, we can put Cosmic Dreams on there," and it, you know, just just that really. So it's a great split because I feel like you guys pair very well with the other three bands. It's kind of like this representation of science fiction metal at this point in time. It's all like the kind of fresh, more fresh, newer generation, and that that cover art. It's I think it's from an old science fiction novel, but it's so beautiful. Yeah, yeah, it's Bruce Pennington. It's just just amazing, yeah. Yes, and uh, it kind of like reminded me of the the like story with like Cosmic Dreams and Visitation. So uh, I really wanted that piece. Yeah, it's it's, it's a nice piece. Yeah, uh, that's the uh, Chasm of Aeons four-way split on, uh, as I said, Desert Wasteland Productions. Just for the listeners, if you want to check that out, what we're talking about. Okay, so. Um, uh, so then that song actually was recorded between the EP and the album. And in May 2020, on Blood Harvest Records, you guys released Visitations from Enceladus. Um, and and let, let's get into that, because uh, it, it kind of like took the, the scene, uh, you know, I don't want to say by storm and sound corny, but, um, you know, it did it did bubble up. And it's a lot of people's like, you know, favorite album of the moment right now. People really enjoy that album. Uh, let's start from the beginning. What are like some of the changes going in? I don't want to say influences or whatever, but like you guys said it yourself, like the death metal was starting to creep in on the EP in 2016. What are some of your goals now when you say we got to write a full length album? Like, what do you want to change and what do you want to what do you want to do? Um, I think the main point for all of us um, was just pushing ourselves as musicians now because we kind of got a bit older and like. Um, a bit more comfortable with playing in this style so it was kind of more about just um would have been like the first full-length album with the band like we knew that this was the it's like a big focal point right we knew a lot of people were gonna like hear us for the first time and stuff like that so when it came to just writing it i mean xander was certainly influenced by more like technical stuff and um it was more just about like pushing ourselves as players and like you know creating this record that more so represents how we want to represent ourselves so it took a lot to a lot of practice um 
like personal practice to kind of like better ourselves as players and uh, just become more like comfortable with with like working around these like weird compositions and stuff Sander was coming up with. I know myself and like speaking on behalf of John Riley on bass, like there was so many times where Xander would like throw a riff at us and stuff and we'd be like, what the fuck? <laughs> like, <laughs> like trying to figure out like how to like work it out in his heads and stuff and play along with that stuff. But like now looking back, it's like, damn, like this bit's like super easy actually. And like, that's great because I know that that's what we wanted to like kind of achieve. We wanted to come out of like the writing of this record as like better players and stuff like that. Yeah, yeah, um, so, yeah, I'm sorry, go yeah. ahead. Yeah, Visitations is, uh, it was all about like the composition and previously it was like probably more about like oh, cool riffs and loads of solos, but Visitations, it was like a really conscious decision to make like the whole, every track like cohesive and um, all these songs have been like, been writing for years, like riffs date back to like 2015, 2014 some of them and um it, it just took a long time and a lot of like like revising it and just just it being the best it can be with like how like uh, like guitar motifs and themes go throughout the songs and like like using certain scales and modes that like relate to each other and just being like a satisfying like composition and uh again with like just the progression that we we would experiencing in what we're into getting into like more weirder extreme stuff and and like as a band as well ourselves and just becoming like closer and more focused um in like the live shows we were like getting like really cool support slots with like um like voivod and vector and exodus and that just really brought us all together and a lot closer and just made us want and want to make uh, you know our first album as best it can be you know you can only put out one debut album and uh yeah it's, it's finally here which is really cool <laughs> yeah and you know usually uh, i wait till the end to uh, ask you some uh listener submitted questions from our patreon pledges but uh the questions we got were about the album we're talking about and one of them i feel like is is uh would fit perfectly here um, our listener Sean Newhart asked, "Was the band's process any different in writing Moonbelt Immolator, which, of course, is the I believe twenty-six minute long song that starts the new album?" Um, it was probably like mostly the same, but uh, so this whole album is based on uh, a story that I've come up with, and it starts in Cosmic Dreams. This like big overarching sci-fi story and as the album was like coming together more so it was we were starting to put music to lyrics and like story parts to the music and initially the first uh, musical uh, sorry story point that came up was just this like scenario this like sequence of scenarios that I came up with uh, mainly from like playing like video games and just the love of like like sci-fi films and that. I just came up with it and it was a cool little thing. And then a couple of years later, it was like, damn, we can put this music to it. It's really, really cool. But the story started out as this, this guy wakes up in his spacecraft and he doesn't know who he is, where he is. He's very confused. He's just totally bewildered. And uh, 
he's in a ship, he just floats out of this like wormhole sort of thing and and he's just drifting through space forever and then this planet approaches and he can't control his ship, and, you know, it's he can't control it. So he just lands on this moon of this planet and this moon is like all broken up like an asteroid belt around the, the, the main planet. Um, and then he gets out of his ship and he wanders the landscape and he goes into this like facility sort of thing and and then there's these weird uh, like mutated creatures that chase him and he's running throughout all these like dark corridors like like the Nostromo from Alien and stuff. Then he has to find this like escape pod to blast off away from this moon. And that was like the initial like story point. And it got a little bit expanded from there and Moonbelt in particular, um, like a lot of riffs were already assigned to like certain story parts and and it was always just one song. It was, you know, there's a lot of parts in this section of the story, so we're gonna have to put musical parts to it and it just it just grew to twenty six minutes. Huh. Um but in that aspect, it is different to the others because the others are more like self-contained. The, the second track, Hypogee and Gal, is more based on the, the Lydian scale and just playing around with, with that, with like chords within there. Uh, Arctic's more focused on like the dissonant sort of stuff. And Planetary is more of like a widdly, thrashy thing. But Moonbelt was definitely the, the song where most of like the atmospheric like ambient stuff came through. Yeah, um, and you know I have to uh, uh, credit the the listeners with kind of being ahead of the curve too on, on this because the questions are going right in there. You said you based it on kind of a story you came up with. Um, our listeners Brendan Dean and Adam Moore both had questions that that are relevant. Um, he, you know, he said, "What are the major influences for the themes and lyrics on Visitations? And did you work with Asai Nagamasa on the artwork concept, or did you let him run with it?" And then Adam Moore kind of said something similar. He said, um, uh, one of the most instantly memorable things about the debut album was the outstanding cover art by Asai Nagamasa. What was the motivation for having a separate album cover for the CD release, and how does it tie into the album's themes and narrative? So maybe just to sum up, could you talk a little bit about that album cover and how that ties into this overarching overarching story um, and what creative control you guys and Asai had on the, on the artwork? Yeah, I'll go for the artwork first. Um, Asai Nagamasa, she's she's someone from uh, Russia who's got in touch with, and she's like very unknown, but her artwork's phenomenal. And uh, we used her art on Cosmic Dreams, and uh, it, w- it was so good. We thought it was so good, so we thought we had to get her back for the album. And uh, because the album had such uh, like a, a focus on this story, like just as much as the music, uh, we thought it'd be really cool to get artwork pieces done for each like section of the story and initially we wanted to like get like nine different pieces or something for like all the locations and stuff but uh we ended up just getting four pieces uh the one on the front like vinyl art that's like the main one and uh initially we were going to use the the cd cover you know the the one on the moon base and like the more spacey one but then uh this artwork that you now see like more red and blue one came through like sent us a photo of it and we're just blown away like holy shit what if we use this for the main cover you know it's the the space one's like a little more generic kind of to say and but the 
the like Arctic Chasm one is just way more striking, and uh, we thought it just looked cooler on like a vinyl art. And, and uh, the vinyl like spreads around the gatefold, and it just it just looks really sweet. And then uh, some another question was more about the influences on the story and the lyrics. Yeah, like what that those images? How do the, how do they specifically tie? Because that's what people see. Uh, before they read the lyrics, like what is that a scene that's in the story or? Yeah, all the all the images are scenes in the story. Uh, I can go over like uh, go over the whole story if you like. Well, uh, I don't want you to. I mean, is it something that 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 the listener should really pr- uh, pursue the lyrics for? Uh, yeah, for sure. It's more of an accompaniment. Um, the, the artwork is like an accompaniment to the music and the lyrics, but. So, the story um, starts in Cosmic Dreams, and it's someone who's like done like astral projection things, and they venture through all these like horrible dimensions and like like torn apart hundreds of times, and then eventually they escape this this like uh, cycle of falling through these ancient dimensions, and then they witness this like great battle at the end of time, and that's what the Cosmic Dreams artwork is all the red and the tornadoes and like planets coming apart and things but this character um, like lands on this planet and they're seeing this ancient battle and they have to jump in this spacecraft to escape the the incoming like obliteration that ends all space and time and uh, they blast off and then disease like we call them time wounds like kind of like wormholes like rips in time and like loads of them like go over this our character and like split split him in two and visitations from Enceladus is the journey of one of one form of these characters and Moonbelt Immolator opens like straight after Cosmic Dreams as our character awakens in his spacecraft not knowing who he is like like uh, the initial like story I've told you earlier and and uh, when his ship lands on this moon base that's uh, the CD cover out the alternate artwork you know where he's on the cliff and you can see a ship next to him and like this this abandoned facility in the distance on this like cracked moon thing where all like the crust is coming out of the the surface and things um and then there's two other artworks that nagamasa did for us they're like in the inlays for the booklets and things one of them is uh within like the nuclear chamber of this facility where just after all these like mutated ghouls have been chasing him and he's, he's locked himself in this chamber and there's like one you can see silhouetted against uh, like the, the view glass window and yeah and these are all things that we're describing to Nagamasa like, using like story excerpts and like lyric phrases and things and just describing like like uh, oh this bit should be like Nostromo corridors from Alien uh, the other artwork in the inlays is one where the characters in like docking bay of this facility and the and the alien like creature that you see at the the bottom left of that is actually uh, a creature from Enceladus. And Enceladus is like one of the most likely places in our solar system to have a life with because it's apparently got this giant underwater ocean and and uh, that's like where all this like stemmed from reading like NASA articles about this and it just like blew my mind open about all the possibilities and tying it into our story and then 
later on in the story, uh, our character, um, he has a confrontation with this like ancient being and they have this battle, but then the being is like defeated and, and like escapes and our character wants to know like who the hell this ancient being is uh, and it summons like this portal and goes through it and then the portal disappears and then track three, the Arctic Chasm is about our character uh, wanting to re-summon this portal this ancient one used to like follow it and like and defeat him again and figure out who he is so in the Arctic Chasm he ventures to this realm called the Raskazu which you see in the main artwork he stood in this like red water and he's holding like this tracking device that's like homing into this black obelisk in the distance uh, and this this tower like holds an item which he needs to uh, summon this portal for him to reach this ancient one in the song Client of Hypnosis. And I guess this kind of comes from like video games like uh, you know, like God of War, where like early on in the game you'll be going through landscapes and there'll be like some strange sort of wall and you're like, what does that do? But then like later on in the game you'll come across a character that gives you like a new ability and then you'll come back to the area and you're like, oh, this wall, I now have this like running on walls ability or something. And so it's all about like collecting items, like powering up so you can defeat the boss and things. So video games was like big influence on the story. And as well, uh, Star Wars, of course, <laughs> that's, that's the biggest one. The, the prequels especially, and like the space battles in there. Yeah. All right. Wow, that's a lot to take in, um, but I appreciate it. I'm sure the listeners do uh, who submitted those questions and who are curious about that artwork because it's not your typical artwork. It's not just some big, big creature with muscles tearing somebody apart, you know, or something like, you know, it's not generic at all. And obviously we have a little more insight into that now. Yeah, we thought it'd just be a bit more striking than the, like with the, the cool, nice colors and that. So, uh, you know, I do want to get into um, some of the gear you guys may have used and the recording process, but you, you brought it there, and in our initial contact, too, in the messaging, uh, you, you mentioned Star Wars, uh, which is which is as, con- as controversial as politics now. It's crazy. Um, uh, you, said that, you said the prequels. That was like when I was a teenager into my early 20s when the prequels were dropping. Um, and I grew up with the original uh, movie. Well, wait a minute. Now I'm confused. There was okay. There was the prequels, and there was the all right. I, I'm, I get all crazy. All right, the original ones from the '70s I grew up with, and then obviously the the uh, the prequels came out um, later on. What are your guys' feelings? Let's just go there. Let's talk about the uh, the the new trilogy and Rogue One. R- uh, rank them. Go ahead. Um, they're all total garbage. Uh, I don't any of them. I've been. I went to see. Um, what was the first one? See, I don't remember its name. Um, episode, Force Awakens. Force Awakens. I went to see that, and I was like, okay, that was cool. And then I've oh literally just left the cinema. Oof. I went. We went. Me and Xander have gone to like all three of the. I think we went to Rogue One midnight screening. As yeah, well. I will say that Rogue One is one of my favorites. I think it's exceptional. You okay. Because it's apart from the saga, and it's just a standalone, and that's awesome. That's absolutely awesome. But seven, eight, and nine. Um, yeah, like you said, seven was yeah, it was okay, cool. But, but it, was, eight, it was also a trash. Yeah, like, I, I came out of the cinema not really knowing what to think. Like, is that Star Wars? No, <laughs> it's it's but, it's 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 yeah. discouraging, right? It's it's the more yeah, yeah. fucked up. <laughs> but the Last Jedi episode eight, 
that's where it went really downhill. Oh, oh my god. It has a lot to do with um, uh, Finn, Finn's character and the Chinese market, because apparently the Chinese are extremely racist and don't like black lead figures, and they had to rechange yeah, it because the, the Chinese market is the biggest one. Well, that was a thing. Like, they didn't include him on the poster, I think. And they he, made it like, smaller, he, he, and then yeah. they rewrote it. And the, the actor went back and, and, like, I think protested the, against that. Yeah, you know? he said he opened his mouth recently. I forget yeah. that guy's name, but he's very well-spoken. And, uh, yeah. yeah, it's just Hollywood bending their knee. Interesting. I didn't realize that, that factored into it. Yeah, John Boyega, yeah. Yes, yeah, like, yes. he was promoted as been like the main character to false awakens you know on the poster he, he was he was holding the lightsaber and we were like all right cool nice and then and then he was kind of like sidelined straight after that film which huh. was kind of weird well yeah i mean consistency isn't the strongest uh point of those films um i mean yeah i i'm in total agreement with you guys uh on on every pretty much everything you said because i do i do enjoy rogue one and I can kind of like watch it to kind of like it, it fits in the, into my head. Like it, it's there's a little bit of lore between the the um, the, the other movies that I like. You know, it's it's like in, in the way it fits into the story. But the, the the yeah the new trilogy, man. I mean, talk about uh, just getting kicked in the face and and slapped in the face uh, as as a fan of the older stuff, man. That was that was crazy. Um, but the prequels are where where really at. we grew up with them. Yeah, yeah, yeah. D- different generation, I get it, and you know we can pick apart the prequels and Jar Jar Binks it up and all that sort of thing. But this isn't that type of podcast. Um, <laughs> and you guys also, you guys talked about Pantera. I feel like you guys are from Long Island in some like alternate universe or something, man. It's, there's got to be a connection there with the Pantera thing and the Lamb of God type of bands, you know, being around. But. Um, you know, steering back to uh, visitations because I do want to get into this. It's it's caused a little bit of a stir in the scene this year. A lot of people like it. Uh, let's talk about gear because it's got a really nice, organic, warm sound to it for such uh, a dynamic, layered album. I believe the producer was Jack Hellwell, if I got that right. Do you want to talk about uh, the production, the studio, and the gear? Um, we kind of like undervalued. The, how long it was going to take to do this record to some extent um, we, we've been working with Jack like Jack's one of our close friends so we've been work, we worked with him like every release um, we've done from Beyond the Celestial Realms Cosmic Dreams to Visitations um, so I mean we kind of had a lot of time to chill out in his studio and stuff and like take us time with things it wasn't like a situation where we turn up and we got five days to record everything and then get out of there um so i mean it was cool because we could like experiment around a lot and stuff like that um yeah and, and probably because it was our debut record and wanted it to be like perfect to us you know maybe we were like over critical or something but yeah it, it took a long time mixing and just getting everything right but um regarding like gear um i used uh, evh 5150 head and uh i think i think we did draw through that eventually as well but when i bought that it was the head with the most gain i could find it just sounds it sounds really cool and revocation used them as well so that was like a, a selling point for me as well yeah those just sound great so there's a reason a lot of people use them. Yeah, those those sounds ace. And then, um, 
I love uh, guitar pedals as well. I've got a lot, and that's like where a lot of the ambient, like atmospheric stuff, comes from. And, and as well, I like I like clicking on like phase pedals or like flanger pedals for certain riffs to like mix it up and that. And that probably comes from like a love of like alternative '90s rock, like shoegaze and stuff, and like mixing on all mixing on all those like weird sounds with pedals and that. Um, and I use I have a Jackson Warrior and. Uh, a BC Rich Ironbird too. Nice. Very pointy. Yeah. Pointy is the only way. Yeah. <laughs> uh, get your, if, you, if you're listening to this and you don't have a pointy guitar, change that. <laughs> I, yeah. I, I don't have any guitar. Man. Guitars to me just look like overly complicated fishing poles. I, I don't know. <laughs> but um, uh, So, well, you talked about the guitar. Ryan, what about drums? What were you using on the album, and what did the recording process for drums uh, go like? Um, I bought, like, a new kit. I got a uh, Apex Mars, kind of just based on the name and the budget. <laughs> um, but I was like, Mars? All right, that sounds cool. Um, and, like, I bought some, like, I use a... On that album, I used a full set of Minel Custom Classic Extreme. Um, and they were they sound awesome. That was like my first time kind of having like some symbols that weren't like total trash. Um, the recording process was cool. I mean, the first time, uh, because I recorded the drums twice, um, the first time, like maybe spent like four days recording the drums because Moonbelt was definitely a little more uh, hard to get along with because it was like we didn't practice to a click track or anything like that so when when we were in the studio and recording to a click I kind of like had some like issues with that and uh, you know uh, it, it took a minute to kind of like get my head around some of the sections when I'm hearing the click and like having to stay in time and stuff and then as like time went on because it took like over a year for us to like finish off the record maybe like six months or so in um, there was something just not right about my drumming I don't know if it was because we've been practicing and playing shows more I got a better understanding of the songs or if I, I, I don't think I was too happy with the drum sound on the first mix so I went back in and spent like two days re-recorded everything um, played like way better because I didn't want I didn't want this record to come out and then be like oh, I wish I could have done better so I've kind of like played it to the same level of which I play it now. And um, yeah, it felt really good, like going back in and having a second try at it. Um, it was far more efficient. Um, it sounds way better. So that was that was awesome. Like, I'm pretty glad I got to do that. All right, man. Uh, awesome. And, and um, uh, the end product, it's like I said, it has a very warm, organic sound. Was that a conscious decision going in by you and... Uh, by you guys as a band and Jack to get that more traditional, organic, old school sound. Uh, probably, yeah. Like Beyond the Sester Realms and Cosmic Dreams are quite clean compared. Uh, mm -hmm. Probably coming from just us getting into like different kinds of music, but I remember like getting into the more like underground metal scene, like through bands like Cathelist uh, and that, and just being like, just loving that kind of sound and. Uh, and then visitations, as it has been more like dissonant, more death metal, you know, we thought like a bit more of a um, 
organic sound with a bit more reverb and that would be would suit it much more and uh, yeah we were working with jack uh, to like veer more towards that vibe yeah the thing with jack was like he's not necessarily into that too much so we were like making him sit there and listen to like formulas fatal to the flesh in his own time for like ages <laughs> and then like you know just it was, yeah it was nice well yeah, we got there but it it, it took some uh, it took some time we were in the studio like few times a week, you know, it's like six, seven, eight morning, just just hacking away at it. Yeah, well, you know, it's it's a it's a great um, uh, result, and uh, it did you guys well. And you know, speaking of which, you know, so now you got the album done. Um, you you worked it out with Blood Harvest Records, uh, I, I believe, put it out. Uh, but unfortunately, uh, you know, I don't know what the situation was in your area. Uh, but with the pandemic on, uh, were you guys able to perform live at all in celebration of the album release, or was everything shut down by then? Uh, everything was shut down around March time, so we haven't played live at all. I mean, we played one show in London with Joss, um, and then the following night we played a show in Leeds with Joe, and it was kind of like, that was Joss's first show, Joe's last show. That was in, like, January. And then... Um, we haven't done anything since then I mean it was only like last weekend where the weekend just gone that we like practiced together as a full band for the first time so and that's like after the records come out and everything so yeah it's it's kind of weird like how, how it worked out that way but it is cool I mean everyone's at home checking it out so that's sweet yeah we've we've talked to several artists you know Necrod Imperial Triumphant Thetis uh, my own band, Afterbirth, released our, our record right at the beginning of everything getting shut down in March, and it's you know it's, well, it's a, it's a good record. I've just discovered Afterbirth this year, and it's it's cool, man. Uh, cheers, man. Thanks, man. You know, it's it, well, it's it's like you say, you know, everyone's online checking out all the new music that came out, so there's there's something there to it. Uh, and you know, our situation here on Long Island is pretty dismal with uh, live in terms of live music and the prospects of that. Uh, is there anything um, where you're from uh, in Leeds in England in terms of uh, live music or a prospect of that coming back soon? Um, we're like currently sat in the music venue that I help run. It's called Temple of Boom Leeds or Boom Leeds as it's now known. But uh, like we don't really expect anything to even happen this year, which yeah. is real tragic, man, because there's that balance of staying alive and staying open you know and so when that shows do return there's somewhere for fans to play and it's taken a long while for like the government over here to kind of like pay attention to music venues and stuff like obviously there's like the big ones you guys probably have it the same where like they're so set up in like corporate like organizations that they won't close down but like for all the smaller like DIY spots I mean this venue is kind of like based on the whole uh look and like vibe of like cbgbs and stuff so right uh, you can imagine it's like just some pretty dingy like punk spot but like we had the last show that i put on here was demolich and that was awesome like getting those guys to play here and stuff i think it was like their second time playing the uk wow it was like it was like a pre-show for Finfest for those guys um and then yeah like everything just closed down from then and i mean venues are closing like here now like a lot 
and it's kind of scary because when things do open up again, I mean, I don't even know if there's going to be anywhere that I'd be able to accommodate bands like ourselves and stuff. So, um, yeah, I mean, it's kind of risky, but yeah, I don't, I don't really see like any shows happening this year, which is unfortunate. But I mean, there's nothing anyone else can do right now to to suddenly like flick a switch and save that. So, just gotta do what we gotta do, right? Yeah, uh, absolutely. We're kind of in the same boat over here. Um, un- unfortunately, we have more in common than Pantera and pro wrestling. Uh, you know, we have, we have some uh, some similar quandaries going on. Um, but, uh, you know, moving past that, since, like you said, there's not much we can do about it at, at the moment. One thing before we wrap up, because I do want to be respectful of your guys' time, but I don't want to get out of this interview uh, without flexing on everybody that I brought in Slime Lord the Delta Death Sirens EP to the podcast uh, like last year and talked about it, uh, not even realizing that most of Cryptic Shift is in Slime Lord uh, with the addition of uh, Christian uh, Zamotsky on guitar and Andy uh, Thrashworth on vocals, right? Yeah, that's right, man. Uh, so tell us just just briefly, like, because I, you know, I recommended it once on the podcast. It's on Bandcamp. The band is Slime Lord. Uh, the Delta Death Sirens EP 2019. It was, uh, in, in my personal opinion, very raw, doomy, um, kind of dismal atmosphere death metal. You guys want to talk about that band and how it came up, came uh, uh, to be and all that? I mean, the the whole the whole way it started was just like because we we're all good in like cryptic and stuff. But uh, Andy, the vocalist, is always like wanting to do vocals in a band, and he'd always like end up like jamming with like people he doesn't really know and doing like power metal stuff or just you know just doing whatever he could to kind of like just get to play in a band and stuff so we were just like probably playing on like dark souls or bloodborne together one day because that's what that's like basically how me Xander, and andy always hang out um so we were just like you know let's let's just do this band and let's like i guess kind of form it for andy so he could like actually be in a band that he wants to do and you yeah. know it's a style that he enjoys playing man like but yeah the, the whole the whole foundation of the band kind of came from just the, the cryptic record was finished so we had like time to focus on something new um getting andy involved um we recently met christian as well and he was like wanting to Trying a band, so it was it just made sense, and we just yeah, jammed yeah, together. And awesome. uh, in the first practice we did, like jam, uh, we came up with the Delta Death Sirens track, and uh, yeah, just just shot off from there really. And because uh, in Cryptic we have like a few years of experience in how to like book like a weekend tour and you know, like put together like a recording and with like an EP layouts, and you know, without having to like find out how to do it from the scratch like we had the cryptic so so it was kind of like really easy to do and uh, um at the time we had joe bradley in the band and and he was like based in liverpool so it was a bit easier to like jam with uh, andy and christian being in leeds and that yeah uh, and well it's very fortunate that you guys are such good friends with andy that you would form this band because uh, it's it's a really excellent EP for like your raw grimy death metal. You know the listeners of the podcast know what I'm into, um, and it, it's just highly recommended. And it's a great kind of companion piece to the Cryptic Shift album. Uh, album, excuse me, because 
It, the Cryptic Shift album is very eloquent and dynamic and progressive. There's a 26-minute song. It's science fiction. And this Slime Lord seems kind of like you guys just took all that grimy, dirty uh, cemetery atmosphere from death metal that maybe wasn't on the Cryptic album uh, and put it all into this really fun, old-school kind of Halloween death metal record. Yeah, for sure. It was a, it was a nice break from all the difficult guitar playing to just play something that's more chilled out and... Uh, that you can just sit back and vibe out on a riff for, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, and, so... Uh, you'll be glad to know that we've we've just finished, like, recording the next EP, uh, like, just a couple of weeks ago. Excellent. Uh, so we'll be on the lookout for that. And again, just for the listeners to catch you up, uh, Slime Lord, the Delta Death Sirens EP, is something you can look up on Bandcamp with most of the lineup of uh, Cryptic Shift, if you want to check that out. Uh, guys... I want to be respectful of your time, as we always say. Um, you were nice enough to talk uh, in depth about uh, the, growing up in Leeds, getting into Pantera, which I love, uh, and all of your music. Um, we always close out by asking you each to respectfully uh, recommend one older and one newer artist, uh, album by any artist, any genre, for the listeners, if you could. Um, I'm going to say for the older artist... Um we're going to go with a record called Master Killer by Marauder. Um, they're like a New York band. Um, it is kind of predominantly hardcore, but there's some mean, punishing, like, death metal style riffs in there that, like, really, like, pump me up and, like, get me going and stuff. I, I love listening to that record countless times. Um, I'm fortunate enough to see them play live. Um, so that's Marauder Master Killer is definitely worth checking out if you're into just some pretty punishing riffs and like pretty laid back drums that are just super driving and like I don't know there, there's something about that band that makes me think of receiving a spin kick from a ninja like <laughs> it's, it's stuff. Um, as for newer bands if you count something from, I guess, maybe 10 years ago now as still modern, um, there's a band from Liverpool called Blood Vera, and they put out an EP called Terraform, and that's probably my favourite representation of, like, technical thrash in the vein of, like, <sighs> coroner kind of style, like, coming from hmm. the UK. So that's Blood Vera, Terraform. Blood Vera, and Marauder, oh, man, I... This guy, I mean, he's talking about Pantera, Rage Against the Machine, uh, Marauder. Now, man, these guys are from New York. I don't, I don't buy it. You're not from Leeds, uh, Marauder. People got at me on Instagram when we did our metalcore episode for not including Marauder, which just shows you that it's just you know that it's something I need to learn more about as well. Excellent band, man. So uh, awesome, man. Um, and and uh, next, what about you, man? What what are your um, uh, your new and old recommendations? Cool. So for the older one, I'm gonna go. Uh, Atrocity second album. Uh, I'm going to do the German pronunciation. It's probably wrong. Todessen should. I, mm. I think that it translates to longing for death, something like that. But that's uh, like 92 or something. It's like a really early, like technical death metal release. But uh, it's just got some really interesting, like compositions and uh, just weird ways around riffs that are just really interesting. Under um, under undercredited band Atrocity. Yeah, man. Yeah, yeah, and. I still need to check out the first one, the Hallucinations, but I'm really into um, Todessenstrup. And I, f I found that because there was a Tangle interview 
like a like a picture of a, an old zine or something with uh, one of the members and a I remember reading that one of the members dug this album somewhere. Right, I'm going to check that one out. All right, all right, interesting, man, interesting. And then my newer one, I'm going to go uh, a self-titled EP by the band The Abstract. I think it's from 2017. Um, it might be digital only as well. I, I, I don't know how to get a physical copy, but this is like. It's kind of rooted in like brutal death, slam kind of stuff, but it's got this like super, super weird, proggy, techy edge to it. And it's like, it's got all sorts of like clean guitar passages. And it's just total weirdo trip. And uh, one of you uh, on the podcast a couple episodes ago mentioned embryonic death. Oh, uh, yes. Yes, yeah. Ooh. Yeah, and yeah. I discovered that from that, and it's awesome. But I kind of see this abstract as like a modern version of that. Mm. If they kept going or something with that, like super brutal but like weirdo techie edge to it. Interesting. All right, and and also just, embryonic death apparently is behind the scenes back together. Uh, oh, that's they're they're keeping it kind of secretive, but there's like a website, and you can sign up for an email. Heavy Hole Podcast is on their email list. Don't worry, we're gonna. Spill the beans as soon as we can. But oh. it, it, you, you mentioned embryonic death. That's interesting. Yeah, it's awesome. All right, man. Wow. So uh, Ryan and Xander from Cryptic Shift, uh, we've had you on the horn here quite some time, and I know that you guys just uh, got home from work or whatever you were doing. Uh, is there anything that we didn't talk about that you wanted to cover or anything we didn't plug or anything like that? Um, the Phantom Menace is the best Star Wars movie. Ooh. Oh, right, right at the end. This guy's got to drag me in. <laughs> Phantom Man. Uh, yeah, we're going to watch it. We're going to do a commentary episode for the bonus for uh, Patreon. Yeah, yeah we're, we're going to give you the yeah. final word since you're the guest, all right, as a gentleman. Uh, and we will invite you back if we do a Star Wars-themed debate show, okay? Yeah, sounds awesome. All right, man. Uh, Xander and, and, and Ryan... Um, any final parting words for fans of Cryptic Shift or Slime Lord uh, and listeners of our podcast? Uh, thanks for checking us out. Um, the new Slime Lord's going to be out soon. Uh, Visitations is still available from Blood Harvest. They just put up some new like vinyl variants. Uh, Beautiful. Uh, read the lyrics, look at the artworks, try and decipher the story. Um, I'm also working on... Uh, like a, a novelization kind of thing that we want to put in some special edition in the future. So nice, nice. yeah, man, love it. Thanks for having me. Yeah, no, great to have you guys. Love the idea, the novelization, the story, and everything, man. I, you know, obviously something I'm a little bit into myself in my own way with some of my bands. Uh, it's just a lot of fun, and it's a, it's it's great to see what you guys have done with it. We really appreciate you joining us today, um, and thanks so much, guys. We'll be in touch as the episode is produced and uploaded. All right. Sweet. Awesome. All right. Thanks, guys. Hey, thanks a lot. Nice to fellas. Of course, man. Thank you. Have a good one. We'll talk to you.
Okay, guys, uh, we got everything shifted out. That was our interview uh, with Ryan and Xander from uh, Cryptic Shift. Thanks to those guys. We appreciate their time. Uh, it was a little bit hard to schedule and work out. Those guys are over in England. We're over here in New York, but we did it. Made it. Um, also, sci-fi. You have a new franchise to think about. Yeah, you know? I, these guys are writing stories and stuff, and uh, Imperial Triumphant's filming a movie, apparently. Some, I don't know what's going on. I got to get on that action figure money uh, quickly, because it takes a lot of plastic to cast me. Oh, boy. Yeah. Um, but right now, I'm going to cast you, Tom, in the role of someone who's going to recommend something new to me. All right. I could swing that. Uh Shout out to Brian Hunt for pointing me in the direction of this band. Oh, you mean loyal listener Brian Hunt? Yes. Oh, okay. Desiderium. It's a mouthful. <laughs> one word, though. The new album, Shadowburn, is a one-man project by Alex Haddad. Hopefully I'm saying that right. Uh, one-man projects. Every time we bring one of these in, it's, it's next-level interesting. There's something about like a self-contained... A project like this where it gets conveyed so well. The songwriting right here is phenomenal. Shadowburn. Every single song tells a story and I'm not even talking about the voice. I'm talking about the, the articulation of the writing. It's incredible. Things that really catch you off guard. Symphonic, melodic stuff but then catches you off guard with brutality. It's just a, a fantastic release. Yeah, uh, this uh, talk about catching me off guard. This thing slapped me in the face when you sent it to me. It was. It, it reminds me maybe somewhat of like uh, cinematic movie score music, uh, but the the pace of it and the uh, the drama of it is almost like it's, it, it makes me think of video game music, really, in a lot of ways. Because there's the pacing of it is so fast paced. It goes through so much and so little time, uh, and there's all these quick changes because it is a technical metal. At the end of the day, but there's something so much more. There's like some magic there. It's it's like a, it's like a, a magical fantasy movie or something like that. It's crazy what the element of these symphonic touches and keyboards does, and how well textured and woven into the song they are. They, it, it's amazing. This is brilliant and beautiful. These um, symphonic parts and uh, synthesizers, clean guitars, things like that that get sprinkled throughout and. You're never really distracted by them. It's so well embedded. It, it loses all of its corniness, I guess, that some bands that try to do that and just can't... Yeah, it, Like, the corniness isn't bad, but it, it becomes overt. Like, uh, example, a band like Omnium Gatherum. It, it's like that, that Gothenburg-style Swedish stuff. Yeah. This, yeah. like, transcends that, even though no. it has a lot of the same elements. This I is, like, next-level... Uh, we weaving into the fabric of the song. I, I don't know the band that you just referenced, but yeah, they're like the, the thing about the, this band, this guy, he's not trying to show off. It doesn't seem this is like true uh, expression. This guy has managed to whoever he is, his understanding of uh, the songwriting and craft and and uh, symphonic music uh, and metal is um, it's rare. And that's why a lot of bands can't execute something like this to this degree. This is amazing, man. I, you know, I mean, I, I can't talk about it enough, but uh, I'll just let you guys listen to it because, you know, we, we could we could sit here and and, uh, and gush over it all day. But, yeah, what a special recording. Yeah, shout out to Alex Haddad for nailing it.
Okie doke. My recommendation uh, for tonight is uh, neither symphonic nor dynamic nor cinematic <laughs> or any of that stuff. Uh, but there is a story here. Uh, Tom, I know you much like uh, most of the worldwide music-loving community um, was devastated when Kalak, the guitarist and vocalist, parted ways with destructive explosion of Anal Garland. How from, did you know? From Prague. It was the Czech Republic. <laughs> it was the opposite of a Christmas uh, gift. I yeah, I remember the kids on TV crying about it, and there was a whole listen. Okay, Carson Daly was pretty upset himself. Yeah, uh, Czech Republic gore grind is um, a, a lush uh, and rich tradition. And all kidding aside, now I really don't. I'm not familiar with destructive explosion of anal garland or pistolero or Gynot resia, but I knew that Kolak. The guitarist and, and singer of Destruction, Destructive Explosion of Anal Garland, last time I'm saying it, uh, met up with the drummer George Flat V5 PRC Zach. <laughs> These guys. Uh, and formed the two man band Abhorrent Cabaret, which does not roll off the tongue, but you do feel accomplished for having said it correctly. Yeah. Uh, Abhorrent Cabaret. Um, they uh, steamrolled out the gate. With their first full-length album, Stories of Undeniable Abhorrence, Abhorrence, uh, this year, released on Bizarre Leprous Productions, uh, which is, you know, a cult classic gore grind label that you should familiarize yourself with if you're interested in the history of grind and gore grind and that sort of thing. Uh, And this band, to me, um, this two-man project, uh, Abhorrent Cabaret, this really got me excited about gore grind in a way I haven't been in a while and I'm surprised to hear myself say that you know I, I've, I've never never been the guy oh yeah I used to listen to grind when I was a kid no I just I've kind of stuck to the classics the last few years I haven't been keeping an eye out for what's new maybe every once in a while I, I surf YouTube or Bandcamp and I find something and I bring it into you guys but I don't have my fingers on the pulse of gore grind nowadays. I stick to my dead infection, my squash bowels, and my classic bands that I love so much. Um, and I heard this, and I I was taken aback. First thing that, that, that hit me was these vocals, which just, it, it sounds like some sort of mutated Wookiee-like burp or something. Like, these guys have a... I sent this to Adam Rotella, and he said the vocals reminded him of Plasma, which he's not wrong about. These are just some of the most... Uh, like a, a an old wooden board creaking kind of pitch shifter vocals ever, and there's two different tones. And then once those vocals hooked me, and I had to listen to them out of out of a novel curiosity for these insane vocals, I realized this is very well written, um, well produced, but very well written, catchy gore grind with a little little flavor of your death metal, your kind of classic death metal styling and the riffing and the songwriting here and there, but it's gore grind. It's catchy enough, uh, it's it's dark enough, and it's just there, and I think much like what you brought in before, um, this benefits from having one guitarist executing his musical vision. There's a guitarist and a drummer in this band, and they both sing, but um, the fact that it's only one guitarist, it's not a bunch of guys collaborating, I think there's a very streamlined sound to the songwriting. And if you listen to this, it just does something for Gore Grind that gives it a signature, original sound and spirit um, that caught my ear more so than maybe like the, uh, the, the glut of bands that we've, we've had the last like 10, 20 years in Gore Grind or so. So this definitely uh, stands out from the pack. 
and being on Bizarre Leprous Productions and being a band from Prague in the Czech Republic, uh, you know that the pedigree is there, you know? So I definitely recommend this for your gore grind freaks, even the older ones like myself who've kind of like fallen to the wayside a little bit and can't keep up with everything. Abhorrent Cabaret. Those vocals. Yeah, the vocal. Holy I mean, shit. Every, there's so many pitch shifter vocals nowadays. These guys took the time. It just sounds like they got the right tone. It was recorded correctly. Sometimes maybe the pitch shifter vocals are an afterthought in the production, and they're they're supposed to be sloppy. They're supposed to be crazy. But these guys really, I felt like they dialed in the pitch shifter vocal tone the same way you would dial in a guitar tone. Like, you got to have it just right, you know? So uh, we experienced not only a seasonal shift, because we recorded this on the first day of fall, Tom. Mm. We experienced a cryptic shift today. All kidding aside, all joking aside, thank you to Xander and Ryan for their time uh, and for their story, sharing with us so much behind the scenes, uh, uh, so much cryptic information. Very cryptic. From Cryptic Shift. Uh, We learned about the story behind the lyrics, the recording process, the history of the band, uh, their other project, Slime Lord, that I'm a big fan of, too. Uh, shout to those guys, man. Fun guys to talk to. Um, uh, and uh, and really uh, excellent album, that Cryptic Shift uh, album. We, you know, we talked about it in detail. I'm not going to get into it again, but check those guys out. Look for their back catalog and so on and so forth. Um, thanks again to them. And also check for, uh, what was the band you brought? I can't pronounce that band you brought in, Tom. Uh, Desiderium. Yeah, Desiderium. Desiderium, wow. Yeah, yeah from uh, by way of uh, California and Arizona, I believe. And um, I brought in Abhorrent Cabaret by way of Prague, Czech Republic, man. Uh, so we hope you enjoy some of the music we talked about and recommended today on the podcast. Uh, big shout to Justin, Mr. J. Wall there. I hope he's uh, eating his chicken soup, doing yeah. what he's got to do, uh, yeah. feeling a little better there. Hopefully it'll be a short absence, but um, I don't think the short the store is down right now. Oh, wait, we're out of merch. I forget. Yeah, everybody bought out the merch. Maybe he's sick over uh, what to make next, because I know he's working on some designs. He might have gotten ill from, uh, you know, pressing shirts. Yeah. You know, like he, the, he, breathing in the fumes from, from uh, silk screening himself. Yeah, licensed to ill. Um, he's licensed to make all those shirts. Uh, but check it out. You can go to heavyholepodcast.com if you want to keep up to date on when we do drop the merch. Uh, we'll make we'll make news of that by way of all of our social media accounts that you can also get on heavyholepodcast.com. Most importantly, um, so that I can keep buying uh, 7-Eleven cups of coffee like a true Long Islander, we need you to hit up that Patreon uh, on, on patreon.com, heavyholepodcast. We got different tiers. We're manipulating the, the different um, uh, benefits and, and bonuses. Uh, we're going to do a whole bunch of crazy stuff for October. Right now, we're actually working on a whole bunch of bonus uh, bonus interviews, bonus episodes, material that we're going to drop all Halloween weekend, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday, uh, this year. And you got to be on our Patreon to have uh, timely access to it. Um, people will be able to hear it eventually. 
because it'll leak. This is 2020. No, because we will make it available to the public eventually, but to hear it Halloween weekend as intended, you got to get on that Patreon. Um, we'll have it all set up for you, so check that out. Uh, try to bring you more, mater- more material, more content uh, for supporting us, and we appreciate you out there. Uh, shout to our Patreon pledges who worked in questions tonight for, for the guys in Cryptic Shift. We'll keep doing that for you as well once or twice a month. Um, and uh, I guess that's about it, right? That's it. That's how we end the show. Yeah, so um, we tried to give you the best possible show we could tonight. Uh, we tag-teamed against the members of Cryptic Shift. Uh, and the only reason that they won was because we were down how many people? Just one. Love you, Justin. Yeah.